HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program was brought to you by Eat on North. Eat on North is a casual restaurant where honest, uncomplicated food is served without pretension. Find Eat on North at hotelonnorth.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Sydney Kramer of the Crepes of Wrath. I was trying so hard not to say grapes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not Freudian. It's, it's, a, it's a literati slip of it, sorts. It's a Simpsons episode. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Bring, bring it to that perfect yeah. <laughs> level. Um, well, I just have to note, usually I think uh, my music at the end of the show cookies but i saw liz in the studio bobbing her head enjoying the heck out of it so yeah and thank you liz for engineering today while jack is giving a little podcast demo down in dc but back to the simpsons of all things (laughs) yeah um you know that is like this level of americana which is both uh, um you know snarky smart and contemporary uh it's very similar to the Crepes of Wrath in that sense. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I don't know. My friend actually helped me uh, come up with the name. Uh, his name's Morgan Evans, totallymorgan.com. Uh, but yeah, we're both big Simpsons fans. And initially, when I was trying to come up with a name, um, I wanted to do some admittedly uh, pretty dumb names. And he kind of stirred me yeah. or put me in the right direction. What, what were the other ones that were vetted out? <laughs> I remember like Garden of Eaton. Yeah. was one which yeah. I'm, I think it exists now. There's a supermarket, I believe, or yeah. there was. On well, that's Garden Street. of Eden, isn't oh, okay. it? I'm, yeah. I'm saying Eden like with an apostrophe on gotcha. the end, like kind of ridiculous. I think Muffin Top was one of the <laughs> short-sighted options that I had on my list. You could have had a line of jeans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm really glad that we ended up with Crepes of Wrath. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to get to that, too, you grew up in suburban Chicago, amongst other places, and 
you told me your family was like the one that ate sushi regularly in mm-hmm. the 90s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so your friends weren't doing that, and your mother was kind of into the Jenny Craig Weight Watchers. <laughs> yeah. What was food at your home like? Um, I mean, we definitely ate different stuff. Uh, my dad works for a company based out of Taiwan. Um, so we were familiar with, you know, different kinds of cuisines. But then, you know, if my mom cooked, uh, it'd be, you know, shake and bake or something like that. Uh, grilled lemon chicken is my mother or was my mother's specialty. They've kind of grown up culinarily as well. Uh, I think I like to think probably because of the blog, but it was pretty basic. Uh, simple, you know. I always wanted pop tarts when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still want pop tarts. Yeah. <laughs> now we have artisan pop tarts. Yeah. Abound. I'm good with regular yeah. pop tarts. <laughs> but you know, during that time, did, did you want to fly the coop? Did you want to get out and start exploring food or cooking for yourself? Um, not particularly. Uh, my mom uh, really didn't like the house being messy, so the kitchen was kind of her domain. Uh, and it was if I were to ever bake like in high school for some kind of event, she would be supervising very closely, even when I was like older. Uh, but when I got to college, I started um, packing on the pounds and ordering like submarine sandwiches at four o'clock in the morning, uh, accompanied by a liter and a half bottle of yellowtail wine that my husband and I, my now husband and I would split. <laughs> uh, so that didn't, you know, do so much for my figure. So I ended up cooking. Yeah. Um, and we had a ton of roommates. We had like five roommates at one point. So I would cook for them and it became kind of like a communal fun thing for me to do. And I always really loved photography. And so I started photographing that stuff and picking on live journal (laughs) live journal i mean it was a phenomenon back then yeah still existent now it totally exists um i still know people from it um i met people some of the first friends that i met when i initially moved to new york were from live journal uh and i still talk to them today Uh, i think that it's more popular in russia from what i understand it's like still huge in russia i think when you go to tastespotting.com or whatever the extension is yeah it's mainly russian now yeah yeah so i mean but I, I don't really check mine as much anymore. I definitely locked it down so that nobody else can. Because <laughs> it's probably really embarrassing. But, yeah, that's where I initially started posting pictures of food and posting recipes. Yeah, I mean, was this documentation personal? Or did you have some kind of project or end goal in mind? I think it like it was my project, but I didn't have an end goal. I just thought that I had seen a couple of food blogs. I mean, this was a long time ago. so probably 2007 or 2008 and so I'd seen a couple of food blogs and I thought "Ah, I know I could do that whatever I take pictures of my friends take pictures of food Um, and the initial photos are really orange looking and absolutely hideous and I have like a big watermark on them as if anyone would ever want to steal a way too close up picture of like roast beef (laughs) maybe in Russia you never know I never know you go to Moscow But taste spotting was another one of these kind of online communities, uh, more based in the visual than it was in in, in the text. Um, what did you find in those images, and did you find other people to collaborate with or kind of drive that vision further? Yeah, um, I mean, it was really inspiring to see people that were normal and not chefs, and you know, kind of doing their own thing. Uh, I obviously, I mean, I didn't go to culinary school. I'm not trained. I don't. You know, I'm kind of winging it and learning as I go. Um, but being able to see other people, I mean, obviously, Smitten Kitchen and Pioneer Woman were two of the first ones to come to my mind when I was, you know, 18 or 19. Uh, that's who I read on a daily basis. And of course, Taste Spotting and then Food Gawker after Taste. I don't know if you remember this, but like Taste Spotting went down for a while and Food mm-hmm. Gawker came up and then somebody else bought Taste Spotting. And it was a whole thing. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's talk about Smitten Kitchen and Pioneer Woman. Um, what was so charming about them? What brought you in? Was it the voice or was it the recipes? Um, I think for me, Pioneer Woman was really approachable and simple. And it 
didn't I didn't feel like I needed to you know live in New York to cook what she was cooking. Smitten Kitchen was a little bit more sophisticated uh, in my mind, and the photos were always really gorgeous. And I kind of still love how she has the same aesthetic all these years later. It really hasn't changed, but it it still feels modern and kind of refreshing. Uh, but for her stuff, when I cook her recipes, it would be something that is new to me, and I would learn something a little bit more from her. So whimsical, fun, mm-hmm. never too fussy. Is yeah. that your mantra? <laughs> I guess so. Whimsical, maybe not for Craves of Wrath. I hope not. I hope not too whimsical. Uh, but approachable, I guess. I don't know. People are always like, how, how would you describe your blog? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I take pictures. I put them online. I hope they're pretty. Uh, kind of, you know, whenever I get a good picture, I turn my laptop and show my husband and say, like, do you like this picture? It looks good, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, so that's basically why I'm doing it at yeah. the end of the day. But, I mean, you, you must have taken cues from other blogs that you like, such as Smitten Kitchen and mm-hmm. Pioneer Woman. Um, you know, because they create such a, a personal point of view. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that in the same way, not only how you take the photography, but how you write these posts. I mean, they're, they're personal. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're about your real life. I think that must be because I started on LiveJournal, you know, um, and because I initially it was me and Kramer went out to some movie and then I came home and made this and then elaborate from there. But I also try to make it personal because I don't want anyone to ever think that I, you know, I live in Brooklyn and I go to the farmer's market every weekend and we go to fabulous restaurants and we eat fabulous food and I spend $500 a week on food or whatever, you know. Uh, so I want to make sure that there's still like a human being behind yeah. the pretty pictures. I mean, you still like cake mixes. Yeah, yeah. totally. Into cake mixes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pudding mixes, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is whimsical about it? And it's not a bad word. It, it's, you know, whimsical means that, you know, it's not necessarily fleeting, but it's timely. Mm-hmm. And you don't really, you know, retain it. But you do. And okay. the way looking at, you know, your blog and seeing how <laughs> things are archived and seeing how things call back, um, you know, you see the cyclical nature of your life and of recipes, but also this kind of outside source, other blogs, other people influence, you know, what you do and what you think. Um, so there are other people. There's this community oh, totally. through Crepes of Wrath, which is just extraordinary. <laughs> like, who, who did you first interact with and who were some of your cohorts or co-conspirators? I mean, I love uh, Molly Yeh. My name is Yeh. Uh, Stephanie from I Am A Food blog. Um, gosh, it starts to get hard to think of them off the top of your head. Um, but, I mean, we just did this uh, this sort of blog called Cake Over Steak, and we just did this, like, hashtag virtual pumpkin party, which does admittedly sound very whimsical. But the idea is to kind of – we don't – to try to take away from the fact that we might need like a larger publication to kind of get ourselves out there and make ourselves known and, you know, help each other get traffic and maybe, you know, widen our audience and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, there is a large community, but I'm having trouble thinking of a bunch of names at the top but, of But, I mean, head. let's go back to <laughs> Sarah Cornelius, right? Mm-hmm. That case on um, what you did with that hashtag, it's that amazing world of kind of the aggregate, mm-hmm. you know, that you decided to make. And what you made was that pumpkin pie layer cake, yeah, believe, yeah. Uh, which looked phenomenal. I almost feel like your trend <laughs> of the month is pumpkin. Yeah, pumpkin I mean, everything. I don't mean to do it, but I, okay, so a couple of years ago, I went to go get pumpkin, uh, canned pumpkin, and the store was sold out. And I guess there was like a pumpkin, can- a pump- canned pumpkin shortage. And I freaked out because <laughs> I was planning to do all this stuff. So now every year I buy an insane amount of canned pumpkin, and then I just end up having to use it. And I can't, like, there's this OCD, like, part of me that I cannot not buy, you know, five or six cans of it. 
I mean, I'm fine with you doing it as long as you produce what you're <laughs> yeah. producing. Uh-huh. Tell me about this old-fashioned pumpkin slab pie. Oh, yeah. Um, I love slab pies because you get a giant pie, and it looks really cool. It's, like, really heavy. I think I weighed one once, and it was, like, 10 pounds or something. Yeah. Um, so it just has bourbon and bitters and pumpkin, and it's old-fashioned pumpkin pie. It's funny. I think of slab pie as, like, urban sprawl, you know, rather mm-hmm. than vertical living. Yeah. Because <laughs> I always worry when I try to bake a cake, if I build up too much, it's going to fall over. Yeah. Slap pie is like, and it's, it's easier to kind of carry around too. Oh, your, totally. And you can eat it with your hands. Okay. Can we keep on talking about eating with your hands? <laughs> Just because I think the majority of images you have in your site too are things that you, you know, they're so tactile looking. How much do you think about texture and how much do you actually eat with your hands? <laughs> um, I definitely love eating with my hands. I'm eating with my hands in the kitchen when I'm cooking all the time, like every, every day when I'm cooking and. Uh, I try to look over and make sure my husband's not looking at me because I know that I'm going to have like my fingers like in my mouth, like just like tasting something or, you know, you get hungry when you're cooking. And then by the time you're done cooking, obviously you're full and you don't want to eat with whoever it is you were cooking for. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, with the tactile thing, I try to make my photos have as much texture as I can. I mean, that's important to me, you know, to make sure they don't look flat and then you want to re- kind of reach out and take like off of the screen. Well, I mean, the s'more cinnamon rolls. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, too, when you make a recipe like that and then you realize afterwards all the elements are edible on their own, you know, because you have the marshmallows and you have the graham cracker. I love snacky recipes. Yeah, totally. You can have a little bit for me, a little bit for the recipe. But those are absurd. Uh, was, <laughs> was that out of your own you know, conception or were there influences that kind of made you do this wonderful <laughs> mashup? That was actually a, um, a part of a column I did for Food 52, and it was about, um, they have one called, uh, I think it's One Ingredient, Five Dinners. Um, so we did One Ingredient, Five Desserts. And so my challenge was to do graham crackers, and I just decided to put graham crackers into my cinnamon roll dough and go from there. And I had made like homemade marshmallow fluff earlier, so I figured I'd just throw that in there, and it worked. I was really scared that it was going to turn into like a you know, burned mess, but didn't end up happening. <laughs> yeah. How often do you recipe test or is it one of those things? Oh no, I'd like to try this this week. And you just give it a single attempt. And if it doesn't work, you toss it. Uh, yeah, I'll recipe test every so often, but generally if it doesn't work, then I'll be upset and throw it away and not talk about it. And tell yeah. my husband to not talk like he'll be like, are you okay? Like, do you need any help? <laughs> I'm like, I'm upset right now. I can't talk right now. <laughs> just leave me alone for like an hour and I'll be fine. Well, let's talk about, I mean, there, there <laughs> must've been failures. What are those? And what have you learned from that? Um, well, one time I tried to make a tiramisu cake and I put way too much syrup and mascarpone frosting and the thing started falling. And I remember just laying on the, and obviously the stakes could not be lower. It's a cake, <laughs> but like I'm laying on the couch and I'm supposed to to my friend's birthday I'm looking at my husband, Kramer, and I say, should I just go buy a cake? And he goes, maybe buying a cake's not the worst idea. And immediately I'm looking at him going, well, what's wrong with my cake? Are you sure? It's like, what's wrong with it? Like, well, you put so much time and effort and yeah. so much love into you know, constructing <laughs> something from scratch. Uh-huh. Like, it, it hurts. Oh, it hurts so bad. Even this weekend I was making a cake. And obviously cake is my... Everest, I guess. Uh, but I was making another cake this weekend, and I immediately was like, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll put some nice chocolate over top. It'll dribble down. It'll look really pretty. Now it looked terrible. Um, but then I ended up taking a scraper and trying to make it look kind of marbleized, and it ended up looking really nice. But again, Kramer was telling me to sit down and back away. And he he's he's the producer. He's always there kind yeah. of coaching me through the harder times in the kitchen. I mean, does he ever say, you know, I really like waffles? 
um, maybe turn that into his stuffing. Is he the inspiration for any of these things? Totally. Or I'll bounce ideas off of him, and then he'll say something that I don't particularly agree with, and then I'll say, I didn't ask you <laughs> <laughs> when I absolutely asked him. But, you know, it's something that I'm constantly thinking about, and I don't like to bounce ideas off of everyone all the time, but, you know, he's contractually obligated to listen to all of my ideas Contractually. All the time. That was in your vows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, he's my sounding board for sure. And he'll come up with some fun ideas. The, I, we did do a waffle stuffing for Thanksgiving a couple years ago, and that was something that we kind of worked on together as far as, you know, should we put syrup in it? Should it be actual waffles? Should it just taste like waffles? Um, so, I, And I did recipe test that like three times, and we ate it three times. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you haven't gone to Crepes Wrath, go now. We're taking yeah. a little break, and we're going to come back and find out why you were one of Sever's finalists for most delicious blogs of the year. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Brian Alberg, and I'm the executive chef at Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts is a casual restaurant where good, honest, uncomplicated food is served to our guests. Our restaurant is part of the hotel called Hotel on North, the newly opened boutique hotel in downtown Pittsfield. We source local ingredients from our neighboring farms and offer an all-day dining menu of flavorful American cuisine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and on weekends we serve brunch. Our oyster bar serves up delicious shellfish and oyster samplers until 11 p.m. Check out our menu at eatonnorth.com and follow us on Instagram. Hi, this is Dave Arnold from Cooking Issues, and I'm here to talk to you about the Museum of Food and Drink, which is finally getting a brick-and-mortar space right here in Brooklyn, New York. So the Museum of Food and Drink is opening the MOFAD Lab, our first laboratory and gallery space, where we will be putting on an exhibition called Making It or Faking It, the history of the flavor industry. And it tackles a very important uh, topic, which is how the food system got to be the way it is now uh, as a result of the intervention of the flavor industry, how that happened. Get your tickets at tickets.mofad.org to come see the first exhibit ever of the Museum Museum of Food and Drink at the MoFad Lab, brought to you by Infinity on 62 Bayard Street. And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Here with Sydney Kramer of The Crepes of Wrath. And uh, you better go to that MoFad thing, or Dave Arnold will keep on talking forever, lecture you, make you want to come, even though if you, you might not want to, but you want to. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Um, Crepes of Wrath is. is you know, your blog, it's very personal, um, but you've posted some other people's recipes that have gained an absurd amount of traction. Yeah. And one of my favorites is Jacques Torres's chocolate <laughs> chip cookie. Yeah. Um, I remember when that was printed in the New York Times, and I think it had like bread flour. Yeah. And that yeah. was like, and it had a, a rest overnight either in the fridge or the freezer. Mm-hmm. The and fridge, like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. And then you make those cookies, and what do you feel like? I mean, they smell so good, and it's definitely the bread and the cake flour. Cake flour smells insanely good. Um, I am not a baker professionally, so I have no idea why it smells so good, but it smells really good. And every time I make them, I get really excited just to have that like smell in my kitchen. Um, but it's definitely—I mean, it's worth the effort. Even my mom <coughs> makes them pretty often, and my grandmother's made them. And it, you know, it's—it is. You look at it, and you're like, "Wow, that's a pain in the ass," but it's worth it for sure. So, what came first, that or Anderson Cooper? Um, that the cookies came first. 
Uh, I was working as an admin at a hedge fund at the time when I made the cookies. And I remember I was like doing some filing and I got a call on my cell phone and it was Jacques Torres' assistant. And he had called me to say that he like saw the recipe and he saw the pictures and he really liked them. But he told me that I should have baked them a little bit longer to be more caramelized <laughs> yeah. on top. Uh, but And then he sent me some chocolate and it was really nice. And I was like, I think I was 21 and I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, now I would be so excited <laughs> yeah. if Jacques just showed up now with cookies yeah. and said, you're doing it wrong here. This is yeah. how you have to have it. Yeah. I also realized during this episode, I cannot do impersonations of any <laughs> language of any kind. So I'll stay away from that from now on. But another recipe that came from, you know, another person or inspired by an outside source was the green chickpea uh, chicken coconut curry. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that and, you know, why it's become such a popular recipe on your blog. I don't know. I think that it's just something that seems really approachable. It's, you know, people are getting into different kinds of food and, you know, experimenting with stuff that, you know, I think you get a little bit jaded living in New York and you're like, oh, coconut milk, big deal next. But, you know, for people living outside of you know, this culinary mecca, I guess, uh, coconut milk is something new and exciting to try. And, um, you know, I have chard in my recipe, but, uh, people use spinach or kale or whatever. And I think, you know, it's been one of the, one of the top sellers on crepes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You also have, uh, I'm calling it a side job, but I know it's a full time thing (laughs) at Vice Munchies working with the wonderful and we miss her dearly, Helen Hollyman. Yes. (laughs) You left uh, jobs, you know, kind of in tech and hedge funds, you know, admin at Business Insider to to focus on food media. Mm -hmm. Um, How great is it to be at Munchies and and what are you doing there? It's phenomenal. Uh, I love every day. I get to, you know, talk about food every day, look at cookbooks, talk to my coworkers about what we should eat and new ingredients. And uh, one of my coworkers is currently brewing cider in his apartment. He sends us pictures of it every day, like a baby. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, it's really fun. We have this beautiful garden on the roof. Uh, I get to take photos of uh, you know, famous chefs, people that I start to get a little bit sweaty when I get near, um, which is really exciting and fun. Uh, it's something that I haven't done before. Yeah. I mean, there's this great series called Dirty Work, which is from the garden itself. Yeah. And you've had some really cool people on lately. Uh, Jay Kenji Alt-Lopez, or mm-hmm. Lopez Alt. I always <laughs> mix up those names uh, of the Food Lab, mm-hmm. this phenomenal uh, book right now, a New York Times bestseller. Um what did he do? What did he make for you? And what lessons did you learn? Okay, well, it was pouring rain. It was, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't end up being a hurricane, didn't end up being a hurricane in New York, but, or rather in the city, but Hurricane Joaquin was here. And he came out anyway, and had two umbrellas and in these crazy winds and like really torrential downpouring rain, picked a bunch of herbs and vegetables from our garden and came in and made uh, panzanella salad and uh, this other fresh herb salad with poached eggs and this really lovely dressing and uh, made, you know, his three second mayonnaise, which I had never seen. And I was like, what? Yeah, tell me about the three second. Oh, mayonnaise. my God. It's so cool. I've never seen it in real life. So you just put oil and egg uh, and a little bit of lemon juice like in a cup or a tall, he put it like in a tall, like Cambro looking thing and put the immersion blender in it and zip and it's mayonnaise so fast and it looks I love mayonnaise I put mayonnaise on everything I absolutely would and it looks so delicious it was like that perfect like yellow like fatty looking homemade mayonnaise and he was like no big deal it's mayonnaise (laughs) (laughs) see they should just sell that they should sell the ingredients on the shelves already in some kind of container yeah that has something to actually stir it up so you can have fresh mayonnaise yeah at the beck and call it was so nice it was amazing (laughs) you had this woman come and make 
homemade ranch dressing. Mm-hmm. I thought ranch was just this thing that happened. Yeah. Um, whether or not it was, you know, organically in the atmosphere and just like spontaneously appeared. Like, I, I really didn't understand what homemade ranch was. Yeah. Well, so that's Courtney McBroom. Uh, Large Marge Cooks is her catering company. And uh, yeah, she is from Texas and wanted to show us, you know, that ranch can be made out of ingredients in your uh, refrigerator and I got to eat some and it was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other nice thing about shooting with all these people is that I do get to eat a lot of really delicious food when they're done. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, um, what's his name? Bobby Helen of Gigi's. Yeah. Cause I am a fan of anyone that makes homemade ricotta. Yeah. That was really fun. Um, he was super nice. They have this towel in their kitchen that I really need. That is like a photorealistic picture of a pizza on a beach towel that I must purchase for next uh, summer because it's freaking cool. Um, but they also have a lovely garden in the backyard at uh, their restaurant, and it was really fun watching him do his thing. Yeah, so, I mean, this exploration, working at Vice, uh, keeping the crepes wrath, I mean, it's all about intrigue. I mean, wh- what are you <laughs> obsessed with now? What are you? What paths are you following? I mean, I'm really loving doing the photography for them, um, and you know, I do the social media for them as well. So if you ever see any tweets or Instagrams, that's me. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of trying to figure out what it is I want to do. You know, um, there's a lot of different options, and the nice thing about Munchies is it provides an outlet for so many different things that I get to work on, um, and a way to meet a lot of really cool people. So yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of winging it. Like Crepes of Wrath didn't start out as anything that I thought would be a small business i guess but that's kind of what it's happily turned into <laughs> you know it's kind of like your cakes the ones that fail yeah you put up a wonderful recipe today yeah. that that is you know the best thing you can do with failure yeah make something else totally yeah cake parfait <laughs> yep uh-huh so, <laughs> i feel like that that is probably uh, you know the best analogy to to working through this industry yeah i'm like a a cake scrap parfait for sure yeah <laughs> Not you particularly. But why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, yeah, it looks fantastic. That fits fantastic. with like the Brooklyn aesthetic. Yeah. Like, it's so hot right now. So yeah. I'll, be the, I'll be the cake scrap part. Do you really feel like there's a Brooklyn aesthetic still? Oh, you know, you think that, and again, that's because you're jaded and you live in New York and you think that it's over, but it's not. I mean, you were just uh, in Japan, right? I'm sure you saw some Brooklyn stuff over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's still cool. We still got it. Whatever. Yeah. I don't, I'm so over thinking that. Brooklyn is over. Like I live here. It's a great place to be. Whatever. We have a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a great brand to be a part of. And yeah. I almost did another terrible accent um, because when I was in Japan, I brought, you're supposed to bring little gifts to hand out to uh-huh. people that, you know, help you or you stay at their place. And we brought mass chocolate bars. Oh, cool. And gave it to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, from Brooklyn. I'm yeah. Like, Sorry. Big so, deal. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, we have that here too. Yeah. We've seen that. But what what is great about Brooklyn is that, you know, it is an epicenter that there is so much creativity happening here in such a kind of compact uh, community. Um, and they share ideas, you know, yeah. and they work with each other. And that's what's so cool about, you know, Vice Munchies. And at least I think about, you know, Heritage Radio in the same way, too, is that we're all up for collaborating and kind of throwing ideas out there and aggregating too, you know, whether it's a hashtag or, you know, a day of this or a day of that, everyone wants to build this community in the best way. Oh, totally. Yeah. And there's, you know, no, no better place to do it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Well, again, if you have not read the Crepes of Wrath, please do and know that every failure cake can be a parfait someday. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sydney, for being on. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.